Good morning, everyone. Robert Russell here, and welcome to Ask Robert J. Russell Show. Today, we're going to talk about some different topics. Um, I am Robert Russell. I have um, been doing this show now for about seven or eight years, and uh, my history is I'm a licensed realtor, been doing real estate for 18 years, and a licensed insurance broker, been doing that for 32 years. My format has changed over the last couple of years. I used to interview people about obstacles that they've overcome and how they've overcome obstacles. The format now is what I'm doing is I'm asking uh, different people about their occupation, letting them promote themselves and their occupation. So that's the reason for this format. Um, If I ever call you and ask you if you want to promote your business, this will be a good way for you to promote what you do, where you do it, how you do it. And uh, right now we've got around 10,000 listeners listening to this show all over the world. So today's guest is Rush Waghorn, who is um, who's on the, on the line with us. Rush, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Good, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm uh, happy to be here. I hope everybody's doing well as well. Thanks, Rob. Awesome. Hey, when I saw your profile and you were telling me uh, what you did, I was kind of curious. to, And I think you're going to have a lot of people that will probably want to hear more. So, first of all, tell us more about you, and then we'll go into what you do. Uh, all right. Um, well, I'm uh, 50 years old, and I have no idea how that happened. Um, I feel like... Mm-hmm speaker here hopefully this is a little more clear uh born and raised in dallas texas uh went to school out in uh, in north carolina i'm a, I'm a blue devil so uh i got indoctrinated into college basketball when i did that um so i followed that pretty closely big golfer uh and really just been kind of in a serial entrepreneur as far as my business part of my life uh for quite a while i i uh, got involved in um some people may know this deal called Mystic Tan. It's a spray-on tanning concept. So we uh, we got involved with them in 1999 and kind of rode that wave, um, got my share of doors slammed in my face and phone calls uh, uh, hung up on when people thought it was the stupidest idea they'd ever heard of. Um, and Whoa, then, hold on a minute. St- Are you still involved with Mystic Tan? Only from an, uh, no, not really, well, from a passive investment standpoint, but not actively. What a great idea. I mean, I do Mystic Tan all the time now. <laughs> well, if we if we want to talk about it, I can tell you some, a couple of what what are funny stories now, but they weren't fun at the time as far as being from the, you know, from the, you know, promoting that concept and and from the sales side because literally it was such a new concept that people just I just don't think they could wrap their head around it. And uh we thought it was great because, you know, hey, this is for folks that, you know, are sensitive UV light or just they would just want to be tanned for a for a party or an event and they don't really want to you know go through a month and a half of whatever it takes to properly get tanned up and uh but or people they in New have England skin I, cancer and can't lay oh, out in the sun all the time 100% many, many there it, it ended up being a huge market uh but at the time the the salons and and the, you know the types of businesses that we went to talk to about it they just they just didn't see it i think it's just like anything else anything new has a as an adoption curve and, and the the first people to do it 
uh, have to sort of be able to think outside the box a little bit. And then five years later, everybody's got one. You know, everybody's got the cell phone uh-huh. now and the smartphone. I wish I would have known you when this Mystic Tan would have hit the market. Because, <laughs> dude, I would have I would have invested big time in that one. Big. Well, I've had, that's a huge business. I've had, I, hey, listen, anybody that's ever followed me, followed along with me, they know that it's kind of a swing for the fences mentality. So I've, I have hit, I've had, I have connected a couple of times, but I believe me, I've, I've had, I've had quite a few strikeouts too. So, uh, you know, I guess that's just the nature of the beast, right? You got to keep swinging. Well, you also put on here that uh, you're married. Tell me about your wife. My beautiful wife, who I'm looking at right now, Angie. We uh, we actually got married. He says hello. Uh, she says hi, everybody. She uh, we got married last September, so five months ago or whatever that is. That on my 50th birthday. So she was very adamant oh, that my. my 50th birthday fell on a Saturday. That was just going to be the perfect uh, perfect time to get married, so she could make sure that I never forgot the uh, the anniversary. Um, but I never would have forgotten it anyway. Come on. Um, but there's a little bit of a family reason for that too. My my parents got married on my dad's birthday, which by the way is Christmas Day. So my dad literally. Oh, nice. Yeah. He, well, he got kind of. I don't know if I can say screwed on the radio, but he kind of got screwed because uh, every Christmas he'd get one, not even really a gift. It would usually be a card instead of the three things that uh, he could have been. Um, presented with we, we we just kind of wrapped his birthday their anniversary and christmas all into one uh small little stocking stuffer so but i think he's doing all right all right so it also says that you're a stepdad tell me about that lovely little not even little i shouldn't say but 11 year old fifth grader abby who is just adorable smart smart young girl creative is all get out um she'll do she has a history of doing these little uh, what she calls the abby shows so she'll choreograph uh, a little three to five minute dance routine or something with certain types of music she's always into the uh that type of creativity she's playing basketball now she's 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 played lacrosse for a few seasons um she's absolutely adorable she is just awesome uh, she's she's amazing all right, so let's move on to your business. Tell me about what you do, the name of it. Let's let's go into depth about all of that. Well, so we so we t- we touched on on uh, Mystic Tan, and and one of the many things I learned from that experience was, it, it, you know, that I think it's to me at least, in terms of business and success and leverage in business, um, being a little bit ahead of the curve if it's a product or a service or a, you know, or a, something that's going to end up having legs and sticking around. It's, it, there's a lot of money in being, and a lot of leverage really in being part of it before it becomes mainstream. So we talked about the adoption curve a little bit earlier in technology. There's an adoption curve where there's the innovators that, that, you know, they're willing to spend 800 bucks on an iPhone before anybody's ever heard of an iPhone in 2007 or whatever, or they'll buy the Betamax or the VHS when it's $1,500 and no one's ever heard of it. And you have to have those people, which I'm not one of those people. I'm not that early of an adopter, but you have to have those people to even get any traction whatsoever. And then, then come the, the early adopters, which bring it up to maybe about 10% uh, uh, adoption. 
And, and once, it get, once something gets to 10%, that's really when it begins to cross over and become mainstream because enough of the public has now heard about it and become comfortable with it and sort of the proof of concept has been made. And so if people, it becomes a smoother, smoother ride for that product or service or whatever that thing is. And so that's, that was fun with Mystic Tan. It was tough at the beginning, but once we, once we crossed that chasm, um, a lot of those people that had slammed doors in my face or, or hung up on me, they were all calling back. Once they saw it on Regis and Kelly and on an episode of Friends, that kind of stuff, when the social proof starts to become more prevalent, uh, that's when things become uh, at a higher level of adoption. So having always sort of since 98 or since about 2003, when I kind of came to that conclusion, uh, I've always kind of looked for those types of things. Now the risk there is the thing might not work out and you invest the time and money and reputation in something that ends up not having legs. So there's, you know, there's, it's not a sure thing, but as a long pre- preamble, uh, as it applies to what I'm doing now, I started looking into solar energy a couple of years ago and it has convinced me that it's a trend that's happening and, and has legs for quite a, quite a long future. Um, and I, and I believe, and a lot of the folks that I work with believe that, uh, you know, solar is well on its way to becoming mainstream adoption. There's a lot of reasons for that. Costs have come down, efficiencies have gone up. Um, some cities are mandating that people get solar. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know if that's really a good thing or a bad thing necessarily. I don't want to be told what to do, uh, but I happen to believe that solar is a good thing, so I'm a little bit okay with something like that. But from a business standpoint, if a city mandates that solar is required, that's a good product or service to be selling. Um, mm-hmm. And so in, my, so in looking around and thinking, hey, I want to, I, I want to have some sort of exposure to this industry, um, I looked at a few different deals, and at the time – a lot of the companies were really struggling. A lot of these vertically integrated companies were really struggling, even solar city and you know, some of the big ones, they had had so much investment um, and they hadn't yet sort of cracked the code on becoming profitable. So I sought out and I ended up finding a company that's really based on more of an Uber model uh, type concept. So where Uber is really just a platform that connects drivers with people who want to ride, but Uber doesn't own any cars or Airbnb is a platform that connects people who want to have a room to stay in with people who have a room for them to stay in, but Airbnb doesn't own any hotel rooms. And yet both of those things are now the largest companies in their, in their sector, uh, transportation and hospitality. So, and that's, I mean, that's in seven, eight, nine years and they're exceeding the valuation of companies that have been around for a hundred years. And so, you know, it became obvious that things are changing with technology. A lot of things can be done now that used to not be possible. And so how that translates to solar is the company that I'm with is a company called power with a U P O W U R. And we've gone through a few different iterations, but um, our first partnership was actually with solar city and we were with them when they got merged with or bought by Tesla and I'm a huge Elon Musk fan, and I love that. But looking back on it, that was really just a proof of concept for us. It wasn't a good long-term strategy. So we ended up severing ties with them and then really implemented our, our Uber-style concept in uh, January of 2017. And what I mean by that is we're just a platform. We're a platform that connects people that would like some free solar information to companies that 
want to give it to, you know, that they, they want to talk with those people. And so if you think of it like lending tree is for mortgages, it's, we're kind of like that. And so from a business standpoint, there was a couple things that I liked about it, which was one, I think solar is a trend. Uh, I believe in it. So I've, I've already come to that conclusion, right, rightly or wrongly. That's the bet that I'm making. And then I want to, every business I've been in at some point, I've had, had to ask somebody to pull their wallet out, right? Buy my product or service. Well, I'm fine with that. That's, that's the way things work. And I, I love it. I, I, I love capitalism. I think it's great. Um, and if I, you know, I'm always trying to be Certainly, I don't represent something that I don't feel good about and feel like has good value. So I don't have a problem asking people to pull their wallet out and pay for something. I, I hope that I'm giving them more value than the dollars that they're paying. But it sure is easy to, quote, unquote, sell something that's free. Because really, we're just, in my case now, we're just educating or we're really just giving information for people to find out, mm-hmm. hey, is your roof, you know, how much is your roof worth to you? And are you overpaying for your electricity? Um, so let me ask you a question real quick. Okay. Yeah. Can, let me, can I, let me, can I interrupt? Um, so what is the, are y'all doing residential or commercial on the solar? We, we're primarily residential, but we do both. And, and, and again, it's not really us doing it. We're just making the connections, but yeah, oh, but we okay. do commercial as well. So and how then, do you base the price? Going. Is it based on square footage of a house? Or square footage of, of the factors. interior or exterior? Yeah, a lot of factors. If we're going to talk about residential, well, and this applies to commercial as well, but it's a lot of factors. In fact, every every edifice is unique and requires – this is very different than like a commodity product where you can just put a bunch of two-liter bottles of Coke on the shelf and sell them, right? I mean, every house, different roof slant, different tree coverage, uh, different local rules and regulations in terms of what's called net metering, there's different incentive packages that are available from the city or the state. Um, so every, really what it is is it's a little bit more of an involved process than, than most sales conversations. <clears throat> and, mm-hmm. and, and so when, when a consumer asks me that, says, how, how much is this going to be? I, I, literally, I say, I don't know. I mean, until we, until we look at one of your recent bills and see what kind of usage you have over a 12-month period, because everybody's usage sort of uh, fluctuates a little bit. I mean, there's some seasonal consistencies and so forth. In Texas, bills go up in the summer because air conditions running all the time. Uh, and so the, the, the provider that, that gets connected to them, and actually we usually connect them to multiple providers because, you know, I don't have a dog in the fight. I don't have a particular company that I want them to buy from. I want, them to, I want the consumer to get multiple proposals to look over and, and so that they get, you know, they get the best offer. Uh, to choose from, uh, but in any case, that, that's when the real discussion occurs. Once once the provider has had a chance to look at their bill, look at their roof, see if there's any tree issues, they can then use software to digitally place solar panels on the various parts of the roof that get the most sun. They can then map out how much energy that produces and whether you know how much they can offset, whether they can where their solar can handle 100% of their energy needs, or maybe it only handles 80%, but still that saves them a lot of money. You know, the concept really is, is buying versus renting. We, we've all grown up with the concept that we are going to have this electricity bill for the rest of our lives. It's just, it's just part of our – we're just so used to it that we, we just think we're going to have this bill forever. But that's not really true. You don't have to. You could actually own your own electricity rather than leasing it forever from a centralized source. And so I don't even really get too much into the 
concept of like for, for a long time, real quick, I'll finish with this on, the, on this subject. For a long time, solar, the argument was environmental, right, or something like that, and, but it was expensive. And so the only people that got solar were the ones that were willing to overpay for it because they believed in it. Well, now it's gotten to the point where solar is actually cheaper. In about 85% of U.S. homes, solar is cheaper than grid energy. And so the homeowner doesn't even need to care much or anything about whether it's better for the planet or not better for the planet. That's a nice bonus, but most people just want to save money. And that's the, really the only way any product or service ever becomes mainstream is if it gets to the point where people are willing to, they, they get more out of the product or service than, than it costs them to get the product or service. So when the value is there, that's, that's when I think things grow. Let me ask you a question. Wasn't there at some point in Texas some sort of tax incentive to install in solar panels in into your house? There are a couple. There are. There's a federal, uh, what's called the ITC. That's a federal tax credit, and that's a 30% tax credit across the board federally. Uh, so everywhere in America, if somebody gets a solar uh, system, they can they get a 30% tax credit. Meaning, when they're paying their taxes the next year, they get to literally. Let's say the system is a $20,000 cost system, um, they would then get a uh, $6,000 just off the, cut off the top of whatever they owe in taxes next year. So it's not a $6,000 check. So if somebody's not earning, somebody isn't paying taxes, uh, if they're on fixed income or retired or something like that, then, then that doesn't really help them. But for the vast majority of people, it's a great benefit because it just cuts the price of the thing almost in half. And in addition to that, in a lot of localities, there's, there are additional incentives. In fact, right now in North Texas, Encore, which is our grid, uh, Encore has a $0.54 cent per watt incentive, meaning let's say somebody were to get a system, they're, they're sized in kilowatt. So let's say it's a 10K system, 10 kilowatt system, then that would be 10,000 watts. So 10,000 times, so that'd be $5,400 would come off the top of the price of that thing. So not only would some, so literally at this point, solar almost at the point where it doesn't even need incentives to be, to be financially beneficial. But since we still have the financial incentives, which will run out, the, the federal tax credit will be stepped down to 26% after the end of 2019. And then it will be stepped down to 22% tax credit and then we don't know what will happen after that but we think it'll go to zero because at that point the technology no longer needs any extra help to, to be you know viable um and then the local okay i've got some is, i've yeah. got some questions for you um looking at you know when i do my own personal taxes um you know when whenever i buy a car we can depreciate the car over a five-year period what's the tax depreciation on the cost over what period of time for the cost of the solar panels? And can you depreciate that on your tax returns? Well, I know from commercial, in the commercial sense, you can. One of the added benefits of commercial is in, in addition to the 30% tax credit that they get, they also get accelerated amortization. So um, in terms of the home, it's an asset to the home. The mortgage rules were changed two years ago to, to uh, classify solar as, a, as an asset rather than a liability. And that, that really changed the whole market that's what has enabled the zero down loans um, 
mm-hmm. and and a much easier financing, uh, which wasn't available before. But the accelerated amortization, um, my understanding of that is that that applies to commercial uh, to commercial entities, and so that's a pretty attractive factor for them because that's you know that's in terms of bottom line that helps them recoup their recoup their investment faster. Um, in terms of the home, there is a uh, the all the panels are all, all guaranteed for 25 years, but they'll literally last 40 years uh, or more. And they lose about one half of a percent per year uh, in terms of their uh, output. It gets drained about one half percent per year. So at the end of 25 years, it's only 88% as effective as it was when it started. But but at that point, the person's saved, you know, in some in some cases over $100,000, $200,000 over that, that time period. So, you know, that's just the way it is. And oh, and also, maybe we can save this for later, but a lot of people say, well, what if I move next year or what if I move in five years? And that's not that's not an issue, and I can explain it if we want to. Okay, let me ask you another question. Um, what is the savings per month off of your electricity bill? Well, again, that's going to be – there's no pat answer for that because every home is different. But let's, let's – Like an average. I'll give you an example. Let's go with an average. So the average is that the average over the course of all homes and all sizes, the average is that the average home saves $40,000 over 20 years. So 2000 bucks a year, but it's not linear like that. Most of the savings happens after the loan has been paid off. So I'll give you an example. Let's say somebody's paying right now an average of 150 bucks a month. Now they're going to be paying 100 in the winter and 200 in the summer, let's say. But let's say they, over the course of 12 months, they're paying 150 bucks to their electric, electricity. The sweet spot that, that becomes a no-brainer opportunity for a homeowner is when the system can be developed and designed in a way where it can immediately bring that bill to zero, meaning it, it'll, it covers all of the energy usage that the home uses, and the loan to pay that off is equal to or less than 150 bucks. Meaning, for nothing out of pocket, the homeowner has now equal is now either paying the same that they were before or less than they were paying before. But then, at the end of the loan term, let's say it's a ten-year loan, now they're paying nothing to either place. They're pay- so the, the example I use with people is, hey, listen, if you could have locked in gas for your car at a buck a gallon ten years ago, would you have done it? And most people say, well, yeah. And then I say, well, what the bonus would be at the end of those ten years? Now your gas is free. And that's the part that I think a lot of people have trouble with. They're like, there's no way. That's too good to be true. That's crazy. But that's literally what solar offers. Because all you're doing is paying for the actual hardware, and the sun's free. Mm-hmm. And there's a there's, – there's, you know, so – and then people say, well, what about at night and so forth? Well, that's a good question. But luckily, all the places, especially North Texas um, and all throughout America, there's a, there's a program called net metering, meaning the – the the grid the grid acts as a big battery for you meaning whenever you overproduce like we overproduce massively during the summer summer days so we're getting a lot more energy from our system than we use well where does that excess energy go well it, it goes back to the grid they credit us for it so in the winter or on days when we're not producing much as much we pull that credit back to us and uh, and are able to use it and so at the end of every 12 month cycle there's a true up bill. Um, and you know, sometimes those bills are 10 bucks or something for the year because there was, you know, we might've pulled back, uh, a little bit more energy than we 
sent into the grid. But um, and then also batteries are becoming more and more prevalent. Batteries are are dropping in price like very very quickly, and the and the uh, efficiencies are rising quickly. Tesla is doing a lot with that. Panasonic's doing that. LG. So. I think what we're going to see is I literally think in five years or so, I don't know exactly how long it's going to take, but I think we're going to look around and the places that the buildings that the buildings and homes that don't have solar are going to be the ones that stick out. Whereas right now it's the ones that do have solar that look that like they stick out. Maybe it's 10 years. I don't okay. Know. All right. So I've got another question for you. I've got a lot of questions. This is why I want to be on the Ask Robert J. Russell show because uh, I have questions myself. What about hail damage? So hail is big time in Texas. Hail hits almost every other day, it seems like. How does hail affect these solar panels? Yep, that is a very common question, and especially, like you said, in North Texas, it's uh, the roofers love it here because they can count on every spring getting, uh, getting a, lot of, a lot of business. Uh, and, we, and we work with a lot of roofers, too, because it's a, good, it's a perfect fit for roofers and realtors in the sense that, that you know, their consumers want to hear from a trusted referral source, not from a guy, somebody knocking on their door or at a kiosk. But anyway, to answer your question, you would not believe what solar panels have to go through to be certified. Um, they are much, much more resilient than uh, pretty much any roof out there. So generally speaking, it's very rare for solar panels to even get damaged. In fact, they provide, they provide protection for the roof. However, nonetheless, all of this is under warranty anyway. So it's all under warranty by whoever installs it. In addition, everybody is advised, and they can't be mandated, but it's, it would be crazy not to as a homeowner. Everybody needs to add their solar system to their homeowner policy. So they'll have insurance, homeowner's insurance covering it, and they'll also have uh, the uh, – the provider, whoever installed it, has a has a 25-year uh, lifetime warranty. Now, I'm not saying that they're giving the warranty of hail is, is outside of, of some of the warranties. The warranties cover, um, you know, a panel going out, you know, inexplicably or just, you know, being a, being a lemon or something like that or any kind of, you know, work that needs to be done that was, you know, that can be traced back to the manufacturer and so forth. But the hail damage if there ever becomes hail damage, which is rare, like I said, it's all, it would all be included in the homeowner policy. All right. So, and, and I'll tell you, and, and real quick, just to finish on that, the, one of the bonuses okay. of the 30% tax credit is if somebody happens to be getting close to needing a new roof, they have an unbelievable opportunity because the 30% tax credit applies to the roof as well. Meaning if somebody were going to get a new roof anyway, or they're, or they're coming up on a time where they need to get a new roof, they could get a solar system and a new roof, 30% off the whole deal, plus whoever's installing it usually cuts more price off because they're getting you know, sort of two jobs in one. So, they, I mean, it's kind of absurd what some people could do if they happen to need a new roof. And so um, in, in a case like that, if let's say somebody doesn't have solar, they have hail damage, they've got a new roof coming in through insurance, they add a solar system to it if they want to at the time, and they can they can get some just sort of ridiculously cheap uh, deals. All right, I got a stupid question for you. Only no because such, I know no. nothing about. I'm serious. This is really going to be a stupid one. So here we go. So what goes in first, the solar panel 
or the new roof? Oh, the new roof. Yeah, the new roof. The solar would the be shingles. Awesome. I mean, yeah. The, so, well, so the solar panels go in after the shingles are put down. Correct. That's crazy. Well, in our case, you would think it'd be opposite. Well, the, but this, the solar panels have to go on top. The, the solar panels have to be closest to the sun, right? Okay. But maybe maybe I'm misunderstanding the question. So the All right, so roof, here's the situation. Here's the situation. I've got to get a new roof. I want solar panels too. So I'm going to do all this at one time, just like you suggested, get my 30% tax credit. Um, do I get the, do the roofers come out first or do the solar panels people come out first? The roofers will come out first, get the new roof on, and then the solar, solar guys, sometimes almost simultaneously, but solar has to be second because the roof's got to be in place first uh, before the solar system can be attached. Okay. Well, then that knocks I, out my next question, which was going to be, how do these brilliant roofers, you know, the people that install the roofs, how do they know not to damage the solar panels? But that explains it already. Right, because the roof has to be on the roof. Think of the roof in this case as sort of the uh, foundation, I guess, so to speak, if that makes sense. And the solar solar has to be laid on top of that. In our particular case, we have a we have a metal standing seam roof. Um, not super common, but I do see them around, and those are actually really well. I mean, solar is obviously they've they've got all the hardware for any type of roof, but metal standing seam is great because they have these really heavy duty clamps, and then there's no actual drilling involved. If it's shingles, there's there there are a couple of holes that have to be drilled uh, in order to attach firmly, you know, to the roof. But all that stuff is then sealed, and that's part of the guarantees. Is all that stuff is sealed super tight, and there's I haven't even heard of, I haven't heard of anybody that I've referred to solar that has had any problem with this. But if there were if there were to be an issue, that would be part of what's covered under the warranty. Okay. Uh, next question: um, What are the panels actually made of? What's their material? Well, it's a it's multi-layered. It's about a seven layers of stuff, but it's tempered glass that protects the actual uh, the magic. The photovoltaic cells are made out of silicon, and the and that's what's in the center of the actual panel. And the rest of it is basically protection for that. And so, the photo, the PV cells, photovoltaic cells, are made from silicon. And for a long time, there's a couple different part, types. There's monocrystalline. Uh, and polycrystalline, but most people are using monocrystalline now, which means sing- stemming from a single uh, crystal. And that's getting a little bit above my pay grade because I don't really know all the science, but I know the benefits of the monocrystalline are that they are more efficient, meaning they, they throw off more energy per, per square inch. So you're getting more bang, you know, for the area used uh, in terms of energy production. Uh, and some really smart people figured this stuff out. <laughs> They're smarter than I am. You know, solar's been around for over 60 years. There are solar panels in space in, in uh, satellites um, that still work, 60 years. So, you know, when people say it's a 25-year guarantee, that's absolutely extremely uh, conservative. Um, but 
That's, you know, I, I tell people, I say, look, you know, oil and gas aren't going away, anything, not in my lifetime, right? It's, it's fine. We, that's, that's what we needed to get to the next step and so forth. And, but I could see, I literally could see in, in 10, 20, 30, 50 years, I don't know how long it takes, I could see all of us, all of our energy needs worldwide being covered by renewables. Um, and at some point, within 1,000 years, it's going to have to be that way because at some point we're going to run out of that other stuff. But I just say, look, let's cut out the middleman. The sun grew the trees that died and became oil a million years later, right? Well, why don't we just cut that whole process out and just get our, get our energy directly from the sun instead of – I mean, if, you, if, you, if people would actually see what, what, what a coal plant – I mean, the nature of from coal from start to finish, it's, it's not a pretty sight. It's not a pretty sight, and it's very inefficient. One, only less than one-third of the energy that's in coal when it's mined, less than one-third of it gets to our light bulbs. And, but we're paying for that, of course. The comp- you know, we're, we're paying for all that. I mean, it's, a percentage gets lost in the transmission of the power lines. If, if people would look at their bill, more than half of their bill is transmission costs and energy taxes on the transmission and uh, nuclear ta- nu- there's a nuclear line on there's like a, it's like 16 line items when you look at your bill and when you have solar on your roof you don't have any of those so not only are you getting cheaper electricity but you're also not paying for transmission costs and all that kind of stuff so you know i think the, i think as the public becomes more and more knowledgeable about this option um i think that's really when the big huge wave is going to occur and I think we're I think we're getting close to that time frame. So would you say that having solar panels would actually decrease your homeowner's insurance rates? Oh man, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna defer I mean I sell homeowners insurance but I I haven't insured any houses with solar panels. Mm -hmm. So you know, insuring a house with a solar panel would be something I would have to check into to see how the rates are affected. But what is your experience with with homeowners insurance? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say that there's a. That I think the last <clears throat> figures I heard were that it, on average it goes, it, it's going to go up. Um, I think somebody said something like eight to twelve bucks a month, somewhere in there. So a hundred bucks a year is it, the rider or whatever you, I don't really understand. You know, you know a lot yeah, more about insurance than I do, but a rider. I don't know if it would be called a rider or something like that. So the, the addition, because yes, it does protect the roof where the solar panels are, but it, let's say there's a hailstorm. There, there are also areas of the roof that, that aren't covered by solar. And so there's, there, there would still be some roof hail damage that was in the parts of the roof that, that solar didn't cover. So, you know, I don't think it's evaluated in terms of that solar can, I don't think it's going to reduce your rates because there would still be hail damage in the areas where solar isn't. So I had, I was on a call about a month ago and that's the figures I heard were that it increased eight to 12 bucks a month. But again, every house is different and unique. That's that's absolutely nothing. I mean, looking at cost wise, because let's just say it's a $300,000 house and you're going to, it's going to cost you, Ten dollars more because you have solar panels. That's that's nothing in terms well, of cost. Well, and, and the benefit and the benefit that I think a lot of people don't yet realize, but they will soon, is as soon as somebody puts. Let me just walk you through a thirty-second example here. Somebody puts solar panels on their house. They come out of pocket nothing, zero down. They let's say their bill stays the same. Let's say they were paying one fifty. Now they're paying one fifty to the note, but they're paying no electric bill. Okay, immediately their house just went up in value about seven percent. 
because here's what's happening. And, and, and maybe even that's going to creep, that number's going to creep up as time goes on and as solar becomes more and more mainstream. Um, whereas I know I've talked to realtors now where they're like, oh, it's harder to sell a home with solar because it's still not mainstream. Okay. But as it becomes mainstream, that number's even going to creep up. But let's just use even to be conservative 5%. So, let's, so basically what that means is if the, if, the, if the homeowner moves next year, that's fine. They're going to get at least what they took out in for the loan if they paid loan. There's also cash options, of course. But you know, loans, a lot of the solar loans now are 2.9 or 4.9%. So it's a pretty good, pretty good rate. Uh, but they would make their, they would make the – more equal to or more than the cost of the loan back in the increased home price. And the reason they're going to get an increased home price is because the buyer is now buying into a place that has no bill. And if you're talking, I mean, some of the large houses in Dallas and, and other cities, I mean, I know people that have five dollars a month bills. Well, if you can get that down to nothing or a hundred bucks a month over, over the course of time, that's a pretty significant bit of money. And if well, you look at the, RO, the internal the rate of return, what's that? It's an upgrade to the house. Anytime you upgrade a house, there's there's a dollar value to the house, and and that is right. definitely well, an upgrade to the house. Well, there's no question it is. the 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 argument, the other side of the argument, has always been aesthetics, right? So, and for and for a long time on the polycrystalline uh, panels, which were used for a while, uh, that were cheaper but less efficient, they were sort of that bright blue. They, my my wife is rolling her eyes. She, she that would have never been an option for us because just aesthetically speaking, it, it, she you know she didn't like it, and other people some other people feel the same way. But now with the the monocrystalline, where it's all one color, black, it's all low profile to the roof. Um, you know the, the aesthetics are have gotten so much better, and they're only getting better and better. So a lot of people ask me about these. I don't know if you've seen it, but Tesla and actually other companies are doing this too. But Tesla is the one that gets the most. Uh, people hear the most about, but they have solar shingles now. But they, they actually they really don't, but they have them. They're they're working on them, and so there are some now some gorgeous looking roofs uh, that are solar. They're very inefficient and they're very very expensive. And they won't be mainstream for another five or ten years. But at some point, homes are going to be being built with these things from the from the new construction phase. And there's architectural <clears throat> solar now, where there's solar windows, solar patios, solar cement, solar driveways. Uh, I mean, it's the amount of innovation that's going on in the solar industry is staggering. It's really exciting. All right, I mean, so let's move on see, to it. You'll see when you're driving, when you drive down the tollway or, or other major highways, you'll see solar uh, not only on some of the roofs, but, but on those signs, on the, uh, on the speed limit signs. You'll see that little, little solar panel. You'll, you'll start noticing it if you haven't either. But on the sides of the roads, uh, there's solar panels. Um, that, All right, that, I want to go back to that, the – I want to go back to the real estate appraisal because that's that's an important issue, especially for realtors. And you know, with me being a realtor too, I want to know about this. Have you seen proof, based on a home home appraisal, that they gave a credit or an, an a uh, an allowance for the solar panels, which caused the house to be appraised more because of the solar panels? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, there was a study. A recent study a few months back, and I can send you this uh, offline, um, there was a study that was done that, that I guess took into account maybe 10,000 homes or something like that. And so they did, they did a big financial comparison, and that's where that number comes. That's where that 7% number comes from, it was that study. Okay. 
So All right, that's I can, good. When that's we're, good I can, I'll send you that. I can send you that article. Um, you know, again, I think it's a deal where in some regions, like if you look at a place like California, A, California has always leaned a little bit maybe more progressive or something in terms of environmental type things. And, and also their energy, really the, more, the bigger reason I think is their energy costs are just out of control out there. They pay 25 cents a watt and we, and we, or 25 cents a kilowatt. We, we pay, there's probably people listening to this in DFW that pay seven or eight cents. Six, six, seven, eight cents. So, you know, solar is obviously going to be a, a total no-brainer in a place where somebody's paying 12, 13 cents or more because solar is going to immediately save them 20 or 30% off the get-go. And in a place like Texas, if people are paying eight or nine cents, solar's still got a great internal rate of return as far as investment and, and, and value for your money, but not as great of an internal rate of return as if you were paying 15 cents. Right? I mean, obviously, because you know, th- those, those numbers are just, it's, it's crazy what, what people in California pay. But what I think people understand is there's a couple of trends that are happening that, that happen no matter whether we want them to or not. And that's that grid energy is always going up about five to 6% annually. In fact, it's, we're about to take a big hit here because Encore is about to do a big $500 million plus infrastructure upgrade. And guess who they're going to charge for it. So everybody's rates are about to jump up significantly. And I think that's going to be a driving force for more people to look into solar. Um, and the ones who look into it before then are going to be the ones that are happy when it happens. Not happy when it happens, but happy that they did something about it. Um, so, but yes, I, can, I definitely can get you that article for sure. All right. So let's, let's change directions just a little bit because I have a question because it's something that I thought of about 10 minutes ago. Um, do you think that – Cars are going to have solar panels like on the roof of the cars. <laughs> well, there are some prototypes already that do have that. Uh, a lot of um, not so much cars, although although the answer is yes. Um, and as solar innovation continues to improve and solar be, can be integrated in and not even you know sort of visible, like like it, people don't even know that it's there and it's there. That'll become more mainstream, but it's already getting, I wouldn't call it mainstream yet, but it's already getting pretty significant adoption in larger vehicles like buses. Um, There are a number of buses, especially in the Asian countries, that are already solar paneled. Um, And there there have been over the last decade a lot of vehicles in sort of these, uh, like colleges and stuff have these sort of science competitions and, and uh, the, the solar cars have been a part of those for many, many years. So I, I, that's absolutely a possibility. I think what's going to be a much larger adoption is the electric cars like Teslas and, and so forth. There's a, I mean, there is a huge movement towards the electric car uh, industry to the, to, to the fact that even Germany has said that by 2035, they are outlawing sales of new non-electric vehicles. Germany, the home of autos, is outlawing non-electric autos. It's crazy. Oh, but wow. my point there is the, is, is the synergy with electric cars and solar is so great because you can solar panel your house, you can fill up your car with energy from the sun, you're not paying gas, you're not paying electric, and now you're driving around for free. Not for free, I mean, you've got to buy the car. Um, but, and, and I think, honestly, I believe that over the next decade, homes are going to be, homes and the grid itself are going to... Maybe it's, I don't know if 10 years is the right term, but over the coming years, there will be a massive shift in our homes. We're going to be moving more towards 
uh, retrofitting our homes into what we call smart homes, right? More and more people are going to get Nest thermostats and high-efficiency large appliances, solar panels, electric cars, and all of this fits together. And, in a, and also in the big picture, and I know I get a little excited about this, but the energy grid will become decentralized, meaning instead of right there in one, you know, one area that's, A, vulnerable to attack or vulnerable to a storm or vulnerable to price increases, so many homes will have solar that we can share with each other in the sharing economy. And instead of sending it back to the grid and then having the grid sell it to my neighbor, I can just transfer it to my neighbor for, you know, two cents. He gets a great deal. I cover my costs and maybe even make a profit. And everybody's happy because we're cutting out the middleman. Now, that's going to take a little while to integrate that. But that's a beautiful thing when people really understand what that means in the long term. So in your opinion, what do you think uh, is the biggest area, city or state, with houses with solar panels? Well, got to be uh, – well, worldwide, it's, it's Germany and Australia. They lead the pack worldwide. In the U.S., Hawaii has the highest adoption. I w- we were just there for our honeymoon, and you wouldn't believe – I bet you – I bet you 50% of houses and buildings had solar. I mean, churches, gas stations, strip malls, residences. I, I couldn't tell you how much. I was just snapping pictures left and right. That's, Hawaii's got to be the most solar adoptive state uh, in the U.S. California absolutely is second. California is, is nearing 7% adoption right now. Um, and they have a lot of uh, – it's accelerating because, A, it's becoming more common, but also – Cities like San Francisco are mandating that certain buildings and, and new construction have solar and this type of thing. So, and a lot of campuses and cities have over 50 cities have com- committed to being run by totally by renewable energy uh, within the next 15, 20 years. So there's a big movement in that, but California for sure leading the way. Um, there's a lot of solar in Texas, a lot more solar in Texas than people realize, but it's still less than 2%. So there's from a business side, it's, it's a monstrous upside. Northeast. We have a call, uh, we have Atlantic. a caller that wants to ask a question. Do you uh, do you want to take a caller? Sure, if you do. I trust All right, you. Let's do it. Well, I don't know what they're going to ask, so let's just let's just hope for the best. <laughs> is this is it? Did somebody plant this person? No, it wasn't me. <laughs> Hello, caller. Who are we speaking to? Well, I'm not going to ask about the Russians, but uh, <laughs> but I wanted to ask. You know, uh, there's a lot of tax revenue generated from fossil fuels, oil and gas, especially oil, for state governments and uh, local governments also, with state governments and federal government. So how are they going to recoup the loss in revenue from uh, those sources? And I am kind of biased. I have a grandson that's a gas and petroleum engineer. And I, I, uh, but in, and then again too, I'm pro because I work on designing projects for West Africa, especially Nigeria, where they not only use solar thermal but they also use solar. But uh, that question on the tax revenue that's going to be lost, do you think that well, that's going to be swung over to the solar uh, industry? I, I mean, I, I think that I think that the government will always find their way to to, to make money. A couple of things I'll say is regarding Africa. One of the things that I 
I'm kind of taking this in reverse order, but uh, Africa, India, developing nations, it, if you look at the, solar, uh, the cellular example where they just basically totally bypassed the original infrastructure, like we have, you know, we have telephone lines all over this country, right, but we don't even need them anymore for the most part. And those places never built that infrastructure, so they, didn't, they don't even have to. They just, flip, they just they leapfrogged that step in the evolution of cellular. And I believe that to some extent that's what's going to happen with renewable energy is they're going to leapfrog some of the requirements of old-style infrastructure. As far as tax revenue, um, on the one hand, solar – well, first of all, Petroleum also gets a ton of tax credits, by the way, far more than solar does. And, and the public doesn't really realize that because the headlines don't say it, but that's one thing. But secondly, solar is now creating jobs at 10 times the rate of the, of the overall job creation. So when you're creating that kind of that amount of work for people and income for people, A, there's a lot of income tax that is being generated, federal income tax that'll be paid. And you've also got a society that's earning more money and has, a better job, job uh, profile in the country, and that brings with it a lot of benefits as well. I think also, I think petroleum isn't going anywhere. Listen, not in the short term. I think that as electric cars become more prevalent and, and our energy usage continues to rise, really what I see solar doing is sort of taking a big piece of the increase in demand. It's not really necessarily eating much into uh, – the current demand, it's really sort of covering the increase, if that makes sense. I'm kind of in my mind, I'm looking at a graph, right, that's going upwards. Um, and so I believe that the, that the fossil fuels are still going to be covering the bulk of our needs for, for quite some time, but solar is going to be sort of releasing some of the pressure on the new demand for energy. So I still think mm -hmm. there'll be plenty of tax revenue for, for our lifetime. Uh, and if there isn't, I know the government will find a way to get it. And one other question, too. Uh, being that our great sun there, because of the tilt of the Earth, only tracks up north 22.5 degrees, those populations in the higher elevations, you know, your uh, northern Chicago's, your Minnesota's, your Wisconsin's, and especially Maine, what's their prognosis as far as being able to uh, utilize solar? Yeah, that's a very good question and a very common question as well, and it's understandable. And I, I actually had that was one of the questions I had as I started sort of learning more about this. Surprisingly, Germany is the largest pr uh, producer of solar in the world, and it's at the same latitude as Seattle. So part of that is just we're th – there, there is some truth to that. Of course, as, as you go north, not only is the angle of the sun different, but also the days are shorter. Uh, there, you know, just overall less sun in Minnesota than there is in Texas on an annual basis. Just, there's no doubt about it. But – Solar has gotten to the point where the efficiencies are so strong now, makes financial sense in the majority of cases, it still saves people money. Now, is it as efficient up there as it is in Texas? No, because, well, I don't know if efficient was the right word, but is there, is there as much energy produced in Minnesota as there is in Texas? No, because the fact is there's more sun here. But it's still enough in most cases to be a better deal than, than uh, sticking with the grid. Um, and I think that and I think that as, as the innovations continue to happen and the efficiencies continue to get better, and, and really the big deal now is the battery storage. That's the huge deal because even in Minnesota at noon uh, in the summer and even noon sometimes in the winter, because it's not about heat, it's about the light, uh, 
a lot of energy can be produced in the middle of the day. And if we can harness that energy into a battery so that we have it available on clouds or at night, that's really a game changer. And so really the thing with batteries right now is their costs and efficiencies are just becoming much, you know, much, that's much another better. Question. Uh, that's another point, too. Uh, today, one of your most efficient batteries, and I may be cutting it up on the pronunciation of the word, tintanic, you may know what I'm talking about. One of the main components of that is coal ash. So we can see the relationship. Yes, one of the main components of the most efficient batteries that's being designed today is coal ash, the product of, byproduct from coal ash. So it don't look like we're going to be walking away from coal too long if we're going to have highly efficient batteries for the storage of electricity. I appreciate your program, the comments, and the topic. You guys have a good day. Thank well, you. if Thank all you the calling. callers were like that, holy moly, you have a smart group of people listening to you. <laughs> of that course, is a great we only have right smart there. listeners. Only that smart really, listeners are allowed to listen. That, that was a great call. He's a smart guy. He, he, he was asked his question. I mean, that was great. Okay, so we have about six minutes left. Um, to make sure that I don't forget to ask you this question, which is the most important question of the entire hour that we've been on, I need oh my your gosh, contact information. Oh, don't be nervous. This is simple. It's like a pop quiz. Um, <laughs> what is your contact information for people to call you who want to get solar panels? And what is your website for them to go to? You got it. I will I will give you a, a phone number and two websites, if that's okay. Um, yes. Well, I'll just give you the one. I'll just give you the one. So my phone number, anybody can call or text anytime. Uh, just please let me know sort of, you know, who you are and what, how I can help. It's 214-250-1943. And... Uh, the website uh, for homeowners to get information uh, is www.freesolarworld.com. And uh, I would ask if you heard this radio show and it made you want to call Rush, if you would let him know where you found out about him so that we can kind of track this too. I've, I'm always curious to find out what kind of tracking that we're going to get from callers that call directly to the people that I'm interviewing. Yeah. And I'll ask too. I mean, I'll, anybody that comes to me that I didn't personally, you know, didn't already know, I'll, I'll ask and make sure that I track it and let you know. Cause that's, I would love to know that as well. I would love to potentially come back and do this again in a few months. Uh, but I don't think you're ever going to run out of guests, but if you ever have a, you know, if you want to kind of re- well, Russ, reconvene the, in, the, in three or six months, the cost for you is going to be really expensive now. Now that you've got these very smart listeners calling and asking these questions, I don't know if you can afford it. Nominee. That's a good point. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a lead service, right? So I could pay ten bucks a listener. This is going to be expensive. Well, I'll tell you what. I, I want to say something, Robert. You you said something to me when we first before we got on air, and you said, "Oh, Rush, don't worry about it. An hour is going to fly by." And I was just going, "No way is this hour." I mean, I was I wouldn't say nervous, but I was. You know, I had never hadn't done anything like this in quite a while, and and uh, it it really did fly by. Frankly, I, I I've really enjoyed it, and I hope I hope there's been some value for the listeners and and so forth. And uh, but I, I appreciate it, and and 
Well, I really found out way you. more about solar panels than I ever knew. I mean, I knew a little bit about it, but, dude, you rocked it on giving the explanation of it. Well, I, I think – can I just say one thing, too? In terms of – with your real estate background and connections, this, okay, asterisk, uh, shameless plug, but not really. There is a, such a – I had a meeting – not a meeting, but we had an event on Saturday with um, one of the top – realtors in Dallas, and, and she's sort of branding herself also as kind of a green realtor. But in any case, whether green or not, I think as, this, as homes become more and more interested in solar, realtors really have a great opportunity to offer an additional service, um, you know, brand themselves also in terms of knowledgeable about this burgeoning market, and also monetize those things. Because a lot of those people are going to be getting solar, whether the realtor refers it or not. So the realtor might as well provide that as a service and, and monetize it. And what I mean by provided as a service is literally just refer it to us and get paid. We do all the work. The realtor gets credit for the referral. And so, you know, the, we're already in a lot of offices, uh, Keller Williams for one and some others, are adopting our, our onboarding to this platform that I mentioned, this Uber-style platform. And I really think it's a great win-win-win for everybody because uh, as this becomes a more of a mainstream concept, um, you know, I think realtors are in a great spot. So. So, so Rush, thank you for uh, for being on the show. Um, when we get off, if you would send me the um, the link to the website with your contact information, because what I'm going to do is uh, also add this that information to this radio show, uh, so that if people just happen to pick up it later and are reading it, they can they can call you. I will, and I'll send you that article too about home values. Okay, awesome. All right, well, um, thank you again. Uh, listeners, listen to the next show. I can't tell you who's going to be on here next. It's going to be a surprise, so just watch for us on Facebook, Ask Robert J. Russell Radio Show. And uh, if you want to be on the show and you want to be interviewed, give me a call. My telephone number, 972-679-9029. And my website is Robert J. Russell Companies. Y'all have a great day. Rush, thank you again. We will talk to y'all later. Bye-bye now. Bye, everybody.